Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Our Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you with my brothers and sisters here for the prophetic voice of Jesus Christ in his word, the voice of the shepherd. And may we, your sheep, hear your voice today. We ask, Lord, that you would cause us to hear your voice. And that you, Lord, would thereby show us the cross anew and help us as your children to follow you in greater obedience and greater service. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, we began to consider Colossians chapter 1 verses 24 through 29. Although the passage is all about the Apostle Paul, it can be applied to all ministers of the gospel. He states in verse 23, I'm a minister of the gospel. He states in verse 25, I'm a minister of the church. And in these six verses, that is 24 to 29, we find three things that should characterize every true minister of the gospel. For our, our benefit, I've turned these three characteristics into three questions that we can ask as a litmus test in our search for a new minister. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first question, which comes solely from verse 24. It is this, is the minister willing to suffer the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the church? The apostle Paul had willingly suffered much for the sake of the church. And this reality must have made the Colossian Christians think long and hard about the new teachers who were in their midst teaching a different gospel. 
were they the type of people who would be willing to suffer the afflictions of Christ for our sake? Or would they run scared and leave the flock vulnerable when they saw the wolves of persecution coming? Paul was saying to them, I would not leave you. I would stand between you, Christ's precious sheep, and the wolves, and so would your beloved pastor, Pastor Epaphras. Well, that's the first question in the litmus test. Is the minister willing to suffer the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the body, the church? The second question, the one we will be considering today, is derived from verses 25 to 27. Does the minister have a heart to reach all people for Christ? A true minister must not only be willing to suffer the afflictions of Christ, he must be, he must have a heart also to reach everyone with the gospel. This very important second question flows out of three things that Paul says to us in verses 25 to 27. First of all, it flows out of what Paul calls the mystery revealed. In verse 26, he speaks of the mystery hidden for ages and generations and that is now revealed to God's saints. In verse 27, he explains what the mystery is that has finally been revealed. It's that believing Gentiles now have equal standing with believing Jews. That's the mystery revealed that Paul is talking about. Now, some of you have played the game Clue. It's a game about murder. It's a good Christian game about murder. The players are each given clues with the goal of figuring out the mystery of who done it and in what room they done it in and with what weapon. I hate Clue. Especially when I play it with Jennifer Harding, who is not feeling well today probably good, which I haven't played with her in a long time simply because she always wins. I only mention the game to you now to show that a mystery in the Bible is not like the game Clue at all. A mystery in the Bible is not like an Agatha Christie type of mystery. A mystery in the Bible is something that is hidden in God for ages and ages. And God only gives hints about what will happen until his ordained time to reveal it to his people. For example, God hinted at this mystery when he said to Abraham, who was the first Jew, right? He said, in your offspring, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God just hinted to Abraham, that there would be this massive expansion of blessing one day throughout the whole earth through his offspring. He just hinted at it. Abraham did not know the details of it, and no other Old Testament saint knew knew how the details of this would be specifically worked out in the person of Jesus Christ, nor did they know when it would happen. Also, 
nobody understood that this massive expansion of blessing actually included the Gentiles. And they're being placed on equal footing one day spiritually with the Jews. Many years after Abraham, Isaiah also gave hints. He gave hints about this massive future expansion in Isaiah 54. I think it's an incredible scripture. In Isaiah 54, he wrote to Israel saying, Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Lengthen the cords of your tents and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations. These are just hints. Israel would spread abroad to the right and the left beyond their borders and be enormously expanded one day. And the offspring of Abraham, that is Israel, would possess all the nations of the world. Now those details, those hints, without the details, now the details are crystal clear to us today. But by the time that Christ had come, the prevailing false idea among the Jews was that Israel's tents would be expanded by the military might of Christ, of God's Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. They thought that he would physically conquer all the nations under the national flag of Israel. The Jews had absolutely no idea that these Old Testament hints were pointing forward to a spiritual kingdom that God would advance in the hearts of the Gentiles too from every nation and every culture and every people. And how would this take place? By children around the world believing in Jesus Christ and resting in who he is and what he did for them in order to save them. By older folks, like many of us here today around the world, doing the same thing, not trusting in themselves because we are not trustworthy. We are not good law keepers. Jesus is. Not only did he keep the law for us so that we might have the righteousness of Christ, he atoned for all our sins. He paid the price. It's a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of men. You see, in a picture, when Jesus came to earth and died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for sinners, it set off this massive explosion. The explosion was so magnificent that the visible church for the very first time in history, expanded across the borders of Israel and began to spread throughout the entire world. That explosion was due to one thing and to one thing only, the power of the cross of Jesus Christ in effectually saving sinners. 
What happened on Calvary was so significant, so powerful, so effective that it expanded Israel's tents across Israel's borders like the spreading of an unstoppable fire throughout the earth. It expanded the Israel of God. The Israel of God was not replaced, brothers and sisters. It was expanded to include Gentiles. They were grafted in. They're of the same tree now, Paul taught in another epistle. The visible church, once solely isolated to Israel, was not replaced. It was expanded in the New Testament church. Suddenly, professing Jews and Gentiles around the world in various local congregations just like this one became a part of the Israel of God. Again, the Israel of God has not been replaced. It's been expanded to include a gazillion Gentiles. That's why Paul taught in Galatians 3, verse 7, that everyone, Jew and Gentile, who has faith in Jesus Christ are the sons of Abraham. Now we understand the mystery. It's been revealed by God to us, to, to his saints. We understand the details of it. The promise to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed in him was brought into being by Abraham's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this includes the Gentiles. And now we understand God's timing on it all. Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son from heaven, born of a woman, Mary, born under God's righteous law in order to keep it, to redeem those, just like us, who are under God's righteous law and not able to keep it, to redeem us so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's no wonder that in Galatians 6.16, Paul, speaking to the church at Galatia that comprised both Gentiles and Jews, said, referred to them as the Israel of God. Now, why does he do that? He does it because the Israel of God is now comprised of Jew and Gentile believers throughout the whole world. Don't you think then that we need a minister who has a heart to reach all people in the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Rich people. We want to, re we want to reach rich people here. They need Christ. And you know what? Rich people are sometimes the most intimidating to country people. But the gospel breaks down walls. It breaks down walls. We want everyone, no matter how rich they are, they're poor if they don't have the riches of Christ in the gospel. We want to reach rich people. Yes, amen. We want to reach poor people. They need the riches of the gospel so that they're so surprised when they get to go to, to heaven. 
and thankful for all of the inheritance that Christ won for them on the cross. Some of you remember Renee, don't you? you were, you've been here long enough. Well, she came to this church for a while. She was schizophrenic, abused, and spiritually needy. She didn't even know how to open our door because it has a child-proof door handle on it. She wouldn't have ever been able to give in the offering, never. That doesn't matter. You all tried to encourage Renee. Laurie and I tried to help her. I saw her one, one day up the corner store at 21 and Highway K, and she had no place to stay for the night. So I invited her to our house. She said, just a minute. She walked about 30 yards away and looked around. She came back and she said, Jesus told me not to go. And I said, well, would you ask him again? Because Laurie's got a warm meal waiting for you. She was eventually put in protective custody, is my understanding, and relocated. Rich people, poor people, people of all kinds. You mean even despise political leaders? Yes! Political leaders despised around the world? Did not the Apostle Paul give the gospel, gospel to despised Governor Felix? Yes! Did he not give the gospel to despised Governor Festus? Yes. Did he not give the gospel to, to King Agrippa, who was a Herod? Yes. And this King Agrippa was the one who murdered James and put Peter in prison. All people. People of all colors, all cultures, all nationalities need the gospel. Why, we're all praying for our dear Ukrainian friend, aren't we? All people. Our new minister needs to have a heart to reach all people for Christ and worldwide because Jesus said, go therefore and make uh, disciples of all nations. The question, does the minister have a heart to reach all people for, for, for Christ, comes right out of this absolutely an amazing mystery revealed that, that Paul talks about now revealed to the saints. Because Jesus has Ephesians torn down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. At one time, as Paul preached to the Ephesians, we Gentiles were far off. This should mean so much to us. But now we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus has made the two, Jew and Gentile, one, Paul teaches. And Gentile believers are now on equal footing with believing Jews. Our litmus test our litmus question about the minister's heart to reach all people second flows out of the stewardship given to Paul, verse 25. It flows out of the mystery revealed, which is so awesome. 
but it also flows out of the stewardship given to Paul. A steward in the first century was a slave who had been given a job to do from his master. King Jesus gave Paul the stewardship to give the gospel to all people and particularly to the Gentiles. Paul shed his blood for us. His back was a back of ribbons so that in Donovan, Missouri, we might hear the gospel and respond. That's why he suffered so much. It was because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Remember in Acts when Ananias was told by Jesus to go to Paul? God told Ananias that Paul was God, his chosen instrument to carry the gospel to all men. And then do you remember what Jesus said? He said, Paul needs to know how much he will suffer for my name's sake. He needs to know that. It's not as true in our culture today, but to preach the, to the, that the Gentiles are heirs of God through faith in Jesus Christ in, in Paul's day was absolutely lethal. We worry about our world today, don't we? Brothers and sisters, Paul was living in the last days too, you know. It wasn't that long ago. And his back was cut to ribbons for the sake of the gospel. It was dire times. It was the last days. Oh, it was much easier back then to teach what the false teachers were teaching in Colossae, uh, namely this. Put your faith in Jesus. Yeah, that's fine. But, but also put your hope in following Jewish rituals. The only problem is that's not the gospel. It's a lot safer. Paul was a slave of the gospel. That's why he suffered. He wouldn't mix the two. One was fulfilled by Christ, and in the expansion of the New Testament church, Jew and Gentile, through faith in Christ, became a part of that glorious church. Well, it meant a lot to Paul, not just because he was called as a steward of this gospel. It meant a lot to him because he was struck down on the Damascus Road, and he was absolutely enthralled and captivated by this God who loved him and this Christ from heaven who died to pay for all his sins. He persecuted the church of God. He said, I'm the worst of sinners. When, when Steve was, Stephen was being martyred, he said, here, here, give me all your stuff so you can smack him and kill him. And that's exactly what they did. Do you feel that way about yourself and your sin? You should. All of us should but we should be absolutely captivated by amazing grace in Jesus Christ. Are you captivated with Jesus? Are you captivated by his amazing grace toward even you? If so, then why would we want a minister who was any less captivated? Why would we want that? 
That's why this question is so important. Does the minister have a heart to reach all people with amazing grace? That question flows out of the mystery revealed. It flows out of the teaching about the stewardship of the minister. And last, it flows out of the riches that are found in Christ. What does Paul say about these riches? Verse 27, these riches are Christ in you, the hope of glory. And one thing about gospel riches is it doesn't diminish anything that we have in order to share with others and to preach from this pulpit the the gospel of Jesus Christ and the desire that everyone come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you give monetary monies, uh, you have less. You never have less. And you want everyone to have what you have. And you know if God could save you and live within you and give you hope for glory, he can do it for anyone. Praise God. Every single person, Jew and Gentile, that trusts in Christ alone for salvation has Christ in them. Theologically, this is our union with Christ. Most of the time, the Bible describes this union as believers being in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Romans 8.1, there, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing. We've got it all right now. In Christ, in union with Christ. Christ, through his Spirit, lives within us, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What a Savior. What a God. These verses describe us being in Christ when we believe. But here in Colossians 1.27, our union is described as Christ being in us. Both expressions, we being in Christ and Christ being in us, show the intimate and unbreakable, unbreakable, unbreakable union that sinners like us have through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ in you, believer. Christ in you. Christ in you, brothers and sisters. Christ in you, believing Gentiles. Christ in you, believing Jew. Christ in you, believing adult. Christ in you, believing child. Rest in Jesus and what he's done to save you from your sins. Christ in you. 
Christ in you. This union with Christ is what gives us the hope of glory. It's not a wishful kind of hope. It's settled. It's a settled confidence that God's people in this room and in all many, many, many other Christ-exalting churches today understand is a settled hope. Why? Because he says it in his book. He says it in his book to his believing children. Christ is in you. So what future glory is Paul so excited about in his ministry to all people? Well, we had an amazing Sunday school class today. And Sproul taught, and I'm not going to try to repeat it, but I can give you the link to it if you did, were not here. All of the glory that we will enter into in heaven. We have the hope of glory because our God is glorious. Our Savior is glorious. And we will enter into that biblical hope that we had and all of a sudden we're going to be like the joke Mike told us. It'll be like, it's even better than what I thought. That's what's going to happen for rich people, for poor people, for people of every color who bow in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel because he alone is sufficient, right? That's what this book is about, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And along with this amazing place and this glorious God, At the return of Christ, we're going to have physical bodies that will be changed like unto his. All of us will come out of the grave and our bodies will be transformed into bodies unto the likeness of his resurrected body. We will have perfected souls that are not hindered at all in sight because of sin anymore, perfected souls to see the glorious God as he is, and we will have minds like unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the condition we'll enter into when we enter into glory land where God and his light keeps everything bright all the time. No need for sun, moon, stars anymore. It's going to be amazing. That's the condition of glory that we will enter into in the future because Christ is in us now. He in us and we in him for all eternity. We need a minister with a heart to reach all kinds of people 
here, there, and everywhere with the riches of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, I want to close by reading John chapter 17. The Lord prays in his high priestly prayer in John 17. I don't have the verse, but it's further along in John 17, his prayer for all of his disciples, his church, us. He says this, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We need a minister with a heart to reach everyone with the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the mystery revealed and we're experiencing it firsthand right now because of the gospel stewardship given to the minister to give the gospel to everyone and because of the riches that are there in Jesus Christ. Why would we want not everyone to have those riches? So moms, you've got these blackboards and whiteboards at home with prayer requests on them. God, help us to find your new minister for us. A daily prayer. Oh, an important one. Wait a second here. I am one. Children, we're not playing a game here. We're all sinners. All of us, your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, your pastor. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And if I don't trust in who Jesus is as the Son of God, becoming man in order to bear my sin on a cross. If I don't rest in that, then I'm not saved. You're resting in your chairs right now. Rest in what God says to sinners. And if you don't think you're a sinner, I don't know who he is, but ask your pastor. You're a sinner. And you need the kind of salvation that only Jesus can give. Rest in him. Rest that he paid 
the price for your sin on the cross. And he was punished in your place in his death. I want you to have the riches. I want you to have heaven. I want you to have Christ in you now. And all those who believe in Jesus now have Christ in them. I want you to arrive safely in heaven. There may be an adult or two in this room that doesn't know Christ. I want everyone. And I'll tell you why. Because God gave me a stewardship to give the gospel to everyone. He's such a good God. He puts a smile on my face and a skip in my walk. Are you trusting in him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for your redemptive plan, much of which is a mystery now revealed. Help us not to waste it, but as a local church family to exalt in it, and to pray for the salvation of others. Bring us the right man with the right heart, not the perfect man, but the right one. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's respond, let's stand, take your hymnal, and turn to... I